Welcome to Machine Learning. I want to talk about a book called The Trillion Dollar Meltdown. In June 2007, the Bear Stearns hedge fund that invested primary in mortgage-backed bonds announced that they were in trouble meeting margin calls. Okay, what a margin call is, it's basically a loan and they have to um, put money back on that loan and they were having trouble making that margin call. So the they were in trouble because the real estate market bust was in progress. Now, if you remember what happened with the real estate bust is we didn't really realize that effect until 2009, but the hedge funds had realized that there were the interest rates were arbitrarily low. And according to historical trends and that they were then uh, betting against the banks in using derivatives. And they were betting that the real estate market would um, correct and they would profit from that correction. So it would correct downward and they would profit from that correction. So the real, and they did realize that early and in those, in that gap and, and they believed that the banks would be the ones to have to make the payouts. And so they betted against the banks. The real list of bust was in progress and high leverage funds were in trouble. Values dropping from the indices of 100 to 90. America's subprime was global and blue chip financial companies emitted big losses. Nomura, Royal Bank of Scotland, Lehman Brothers, Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, French BPN, Parabas, IKEA, Caliber, and Bank of England had to bail out Northrock. In addition to the consolidated debt obligations, there existed a structural investment vehicle, SVI's financial structure run within, but separate from the major money center banks. Okay, one of the things that it was really amazing, I guess revealing during this subprime uh, meltdown, was that how much money, which was trillions of dollars, which basically almost equated to the amount that the bailouts, $2 trillion, um, was hidden or kept off books. So they were in these structures, financial structures, which were kind of private. And, and yet, well, they were definitely private and not visible. So these SVIs are typically Cayman Island limited partnerships that collect bundles of bank loans or other securities. They are convenient for moving assets off bank balance sheets and apparently have substantial holdings of commercial and residential mortgages and mortgage-backed securities. So these off-book accounts 
had lots lots of money on them and they were kept offshore probably for tax reasons it's probably one of those loopholes banks chose to finance svis with inexpensive abcp short-term maturities money market funds rather than mature debt total asset back commercial paper outstandings was 1.2 trillion dollars November 2007. That's going to be significant because those SVIs um, didn't reveal the problem behind them is that they were kind of hidden. They're like an iceberg. And you have the Titanic, which is the market moving along and thinking everything is wonderful and they're enjoying the high society and the dances and the fine food and everything is cruising along well in their giant ship. And all of a sudden, they hit this iceberg called SVIs or mortgage backs, which contain these mortgage backed securities. And these loans, um, you could think of them as the money market funds. So, money markets are huge, they, they are used in a lot, affect a lot of financing for commercial operations. And so even the money markets were in trouble. I remember I had money in a, a, a guaranteed fund, and I noticed that the guaranteed fund was also linked to money market, and it dropped below the $1. And I was stunned because I thought that this was, quote, guaranteed. And... uh it turned out that even the money market were affected by the mortgage-backed securities. And that was probably due to this SBIs. Haven't been able to prove that, but it, it still seems plausible that, that that could have been the reason why it dropped. Uh, problems in the commercial paper, problems in the money market. Okay, November 2007, SBIs approached a state of chaos. Outstanding interbank commercial paper balances had dropped below $900 billion, with most of the fallout due to refusal to refinance SVIs, leaving banks potential on the hook to supply more than $300 billion of risky and unexpected financing. Okay, we'd have to exam- examine that. Okay, they had... Um, the commercial paper balances had dropped below $900 billion without most of the fallout due to refusal to refinance the SVIs. Okay, why was there a refusal to uh, refinance the SVIs? Okay, we have to go back to the way they financed it anyway, and they were financing it using the ABCP short-term maturities. So... Um, short term they were trying to reduce their risk banks were probably overextended on these loans and they didn't want to refinance it but the problem was that these assets were dropping in value and they were and it says here that they were on hook to supply more than 300 billion dollars of risky and unexpected financing okay that 
in my mind, I interpret that to be some sort of payout due to the derivative. So the derivatives have dropped uh, the, let's see, which way would that have gone? The, the, so there was some asset that had dropped in value. And at that point, probably it would have been those bonds that had dropped in value. And so now there was a payout and they wanted either the payout through an insurance premium payout or have the banks pay out directly. <clears throat> and as I recall, the banks were on the line to pay out directly through the um, through the insurance. And that was causing them distress because they didn't have that money. At Citibank, the lending uh, to its own SVIs were more than three times higher than its net new global customer lending. Okay, so I interpret that to mean that the amount that they had to pay out was draining them. City and other American banks with cooperation of the Treasury are working to organize a super SBI to take 75 to $100 billion in SVI SIV loans off their books. Well, and so Citigroup revealed it managed $400 billion in off-balance entries called long-term SBI loans. So these are not reported on their financials to their investors. These are assets that they have uh, in another corporate entity that are private. It's almost like a a private company, a public company having a private company as a subsidiary and that private company not be required to report its financials to the public. When the London money markets realized that the banks were doing, commercial paper sales came to a grinding halt. Bank shareholders discovered the SVIs weren't really off balance sheets since the banks had usually promised to take them back if they couldn't raise short-term financing. Okay, so that's the agreement. That was the contract. If they couldn't raise that short-term financing, which they didn't want to refinance the SBIs into long-term maturities, then these assets in this private entity would have to be taken back into the bank and the problem with that move would have been that now you have a asset that's devaluated due to the um, mortgage-backed securities and the, inc- the way they had put together that security package with high risk mixing with low risk. And then you had the Moody's AAA ratings that or uh, ratings that would drop and so that drop in rating then would mean that the the triage or the trachea um, valuations or demand or pricing for that bond would decrease to an, a new echelon level of trache, trachea so 
an analogy, what that would be like is that you bought a car and then you realized that the parts in the car were made of poor quality supply by different vendors. And so now your luxury vehicle, because of the parts that are in it, are not as valuable. So that's exactly what happened with the SVIs and the fact that the SVIs had mortgage-backed security as part of their assets was the drop in valuation of those bonds. So once they, if they couldn't do the financing, then the banks had to take all that those assets and put them back onto their books. And that's when the public realized how much of a problem that the banks had created by moving so much so much of these assets, $1.2 million of these assets into SVIs. October 2007, big banks and investment banks reported $20 billion in losses, $11 billion of, of it in Citi and Merrill Lynch, primarily in subprime-based CDOs, with revised to $45 billion in losses. losses. Citi Bank uh, received $7.5 billion in capital infusion from Abu Dhabi in the form of convertible bonds, 11% interest coupon. Okay, wow. Abu Dhabi, which is a Middle East country, investing into the banking systems of Citibank, which is, uh, so they're taking oil money and they're investing into banking, but they loaned this money at 11% interest. Derivatives are futures, forwards, options, and swaps. Derivatives reduce the risk for one party, uh, but increase the risk for another. So that that's how they work. Derivatives hedge against future, invest small now for options to buy later. Okay, so what that means is that you only had to put a small amount of money in and then you had the option to buy at that same level later. So they, it was considered a risk um, a risk hedge. And as a result of the risk hedge, if you were correct, then you had a, a big payout. If you were wrong, then you had a, I mean, you had a, you made a lot of money. And if you were wrong, then you lost a lot of money. Derivatives are very complicated to understand because it's sort of like gambling. So there's no way to really know what the outcome will be unless you are moving that market and causing that market to move in the direction that is desired. And that requires a huge amount of money to be able to do that. But we saw that in this case, the hedge funds had that money they had, and they capitalized in the hundreds of billions of dollars off of the meltdown. Derivatives are contracts based on or derived from some underlying asset, ref, reference rate, interest rates, or exchange rates or indexes.
Derivatives can be based on assets such as commodities, bonds, interest rates, exchange rates, stock market indexes, consumer price indexes. Derivatives allow investors to make massive money by leveraging on small movements in price. In derivatives, someone loses money while someone gains money, a supposed zero-sum game. I think derivatives are, the derivatives definitely are financial cancer. They capitalize without any industry. One very popular derivative was the credit default swap. If I'm a fund manager with a risky subprime mortgage portfolio that I'd like to get off my books, I tried to sell it, but it would be easier to enter into a credit default swap, CDS, on the ABX. In October 2007, a mid-credit A swap was trading at 60, down from a par of 100, down 40 cents on the dollar. What does it cost? I, the counterparty, $4 million to take the risk for $10 million CDO portfolio. The result is I've crystallized my worries into a single payment, taking a $4 million hit and no longer have subprime exposure. Hedge funds raise cash by selling equity in the form of partnership shares. For every $1 invested from its partnership equity, hedge funds invested $4 borrowed from its banks. Equity investments are leveraged 5 to 1. Hedge funds buy $100 million in the first loss bonds, underpinning a $2 billion CDO 20 to 1 leverage. The $100 million is financed with $20 million in equity and $80 million from the bank. Hedge fund partners are leveraged 100 to 1. 5 times 20 equals 100 to 1. A loss of 1% on a CDO wipes out all of the hedge fund partners' equity. A potential loss of $20 million per 1% drop. So they these you can see in the hedge funds that they were using leveraging to make huge amounts of profit uh, by small movements in price. And that's how they made the money. Portfolios covered and was it was it moral? I think it was terribly immoral is wicked and evil what they did and but the system allowed it and had and derivatives um, came under scrutiny but they still exist and they're uh, larger than ever they're almost impossible to get rid of and so there has to be a better way there'll have to be um either a return back to asset-based currency or we um, would need to move to some system where we can create value uh, in our exchanges that have 
some level of tangible valuation and not engage in stock trading or investing of this nature where you're dealing with uh, speculative casino economy tactics because in the end it's going to result in the fall of the financial system. Okay, portfolios covered by default credit, default swaps, contracts balloon from $1 trillion in 2001 to $45 trillion in the mid-2007. CDS are primary deals arranged uh, for fee by the broker-dealer banks. Banks are unhooked to make good losses on $18.2 trillion of their portfolios, while credit hedge funds have guaranteed some $14.5 trillion. Most funds cannot survive even a 1% to 2% payoff demand on their default credit swaps. So banks were betting that the real estate market was going to go up indefinitely. It had done for 70 years. But the political regulations, when it interfered with the market system, created a large amount of risk, and that risk was hidden in the bond bundling. And so when the market started to drop and the derivatives were highly leveraged, there were huge amounts of payouts by the banks, and that was what forced the bailout and the taxpayer had to pay through um, through the subprime bailout funding. Okay, poor designs. These companies did not carry bad debt reserves against the possibility of failure. So they didn't have enough money to make the payments, payouts. Additionally, at risk was the larger $43 trillion CDS insurance market for which Bear Stearns insured $13.4 trillion and the $150 trillion bond market and the $500 trillion derivatives market. You know, it makes you wonder if that derivatives, what I'm talking about here is that the $500 trillion derivatives market was actually maybe just the OTC or because the total derivatives is about one point one four quadrillion dollars. It's amazing when you just talk about quadrillion, you're almost like talking about wattage, uh, electric wattage consumption in the in the America. Okay, a large um, landing predicted in 2009, $350 billion in subprime and other risky residential mortgages will be reset, many at a punishing rate. Defaults will rise sharply. Two million people will lose their homes. Actually, that number was quite a bit larger. I think it was around 8 million, uh, 8 million to 12 million. Hard to find that, that data. Housing prices will continue to fall 10 to 30%, which they did. I thought they were going to fall to 45%, but uh, there were talking heads like uh, Warren Buffett that said that now was a good time, then was a good time to start buying. So people started buying again. Um, the 
portfolios, the 401ks, the money managers, they were all saying, yep, this is just a small correction. Subprime, the bailouts are going to work. And people started buying back into the stock market. And now the stock market's above 34000 and that we have a had, had gone through a brief time of a, a mortgage boom. <clears throat> the nine trillion dollars in home equity withdrawal is no no longer sustainable. Dollar decline will make commodity prices higher. U.S. oil exports will rise and pass through dollar decline. A decline in credit availability will feed into a downward momentum. Hard landing started in 2008 and ec- economic losses expected to continue with more defaults and write-downs. The write-downs are a measure of the yield for holding such risky instruments. The billions in with write-downs will negatively impact the economy. The super SVI structure floated by Citigroup and the Treasury looks like a blatant attempt to defer write-downs. Widespread collateral damage in hedge funds will trigger forced selling from margin accounts. Rolling bond downward grades will require divesture by pension funds and insurance companies that find themselves in violation of rules holding investment-grade paper. With a note, Notational derivative values in the $500 trillion range, rapid swings of $5 trillion to $10 trillion in derivative values are altogether plausible and could inflict enormous damage. Well, in short, what does that mean? Well, it means that today we need to be thinking about where we have come in 20 years because roughly this occurred in 2007 and we're now at 2023 or 22 going on to 23 and in 2023 to 24 uh, we need to look back and make accounting for how we have done how we performed um, the growth momentum, the trajectory we're going on, and how widespread these derivatives are today and what the leverage risk is because nothing changed since 2007 to 2022 and hedge funds will still be highly leveraged. They're the ones that won in the 2007 meltdown, 2009. They're the ones that won the most. The banks uh, did the most payout. They rebalanced their their uh, banking books. But did they reduce their leverage exposure? And when they did their health check right after the meltdown, it was shown that U.S. banks were healthier than European banks but inflation has been climbing, interest rates have been climbing, and it's not going to be long before we start feeling the effects of deflation.